Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. But again, we're looking at this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching us about the standard of righteousness. And he says something in this sermon that really challenged the hearers, as it probably would challenge us even to this day. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the teachers of the law, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, he's not talking about heaven one day when you die, although that's a part of it. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven that came to the earth when he came in and inaugurated the kingdom of God. The kingdom that begins the moment that you allow yourselves, you submit to his lordship and what he wants, and he becomes your king, you become a part of his kingdom. It's similar to when... You're an immigrant and you become a part of the United States of America. As an immigrant, you come and you, you submit to the sovereign rule or reign, if you will, of the United States of America. You become a part of a different kingdom. You were born in one kingdom, but you become a citizen of another. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you can't enter into our borders unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. And he's telling them this, and they're probably thinking, none of us are going to make it. We can't, those guys have given their lives to the studying and understanding, and it's very intimidating to hear until you start to understand what Jesus was really communicating. What he was saying is, they serve me outwardly. They follow rules, some of which they've even made up. But what they don't do is they don't follow my words from their heart. And he was exposing those things. He's saying, I don't want you you following a list of do's and don'ts. I want you following me from your heart. I was reading something this morning in my own devotional time. In Isaiah chapter 55, we don't have it on the screen. I didn't give it to the guys But I read it this morning, and I want to read it to you. You can write it down if you want to read it later. Talking about the day of salvation, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this day hundreds of years before the moment Jesus came. But he says this, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways, and don't miss this part, and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. And there's something that caught my eye in this. He says, let them banish even the thought of doing wrong. That's not just an outward action. That's an inward change. That's a heart change. That's a motive and intention change. When your thought doesn't even go to that because you on the inward have been changed and have become a new creation. That's what Jesus came to do in our lives. To purify even our motives. To purify the why behind the what. 
And so we talked about this message. We talked about the last couple of weeks, the why, the why behind the what. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around someone who they know exactly what to say when they're with you, but you have a hunch that when they leave you, they're a different person than when the person they were around you. How many of you have ever been around people like that? Don't point to your teenagers. How many of you have ever been around people like that? There was a, some years back, a while back, at a church, there was a man who came in, and he, this guy said he was a part of a very successful church in Atlanta, was on staff at this church, but yet he was also connected with this church family, this denomination, if you will, that was very successful. And he came to that church, came to our church, and he was saying, like, I'm a part of this, I was a part of that, I was a part of that. And this guy talked the talk. And people believed in him to the point where he was now, he was connecting with the leadership of that church. And I remember that leadership taking this guy on a trip to a church conference with them, riding alone for hours and talking and connecting and all of those things. And everything outwardly looked fantastic, looked great. And I still remember the night I got the text message with a picture of that man. And the picture of him that I got was a mugshot. Because this man, and all you had to do was Google his name, was wanted in multiple states. I want to say four or five different states around our country for stealing money from churches, Christian ministries, and the elderly. He was a con artist. He, and I don't mean like in his past. He was actively a con artist to the point where we called a city that we saw he had a, he, a warrant out for his arrest in this city. We called them. And we just started, we didn't say his name, we started describing what he had done and what he was like. And they said, oh yeah, we know, we know exactly who that is and told us his name. That's how well known and infamous this man was for being a charlatan, for being a wicked man. And I still remember the feeling and many, many people had of, I trusted him. I rode alone with him. In a vehicle. I, some people had, I let him borrow my vehicle. Literally. Because he was that good as a con man. Now here's the good news. The Bible says there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And God tends to and takes care of his church. He exposes your heart. He gives you room to repent. But when you won't, he will expose you. And thank God that man was exposed. But there's that feeling of you aren't who you said you were. Your motives and your intentions aren't what you said they were. And though that's a very extreme scenario, Jesus is saying the same thing about us. He's saying there's those who serve God with their words. They may even serve God with some of their actions, but their hearts are far from pure. Their intentions are far from noble and righteous in God's sight. And he begins to expose those things because he's letting us know what I want is a people that's going to serve me, not just with their actions, not just with their words, not just with where they sit on a Sunday morning, 
but they're going to serve me from their heart. Jesus exposes those things in the sermon. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the right things that we do with the wrong heart. Jesus started off telling us about our giving, how we, we give, but our intention and our motivation is that everybody's going to think, man, look at how generous they are. Wow. And Jesus says, that's the only reward you ever get. And then he says, what about your prayer lives? You pray so that everybody thinks you're spiritual. You pray so that everybody looks at you, and you don't even know how to pray. And if you pray that way, that's the only reward you'll ever have. And then he goes even further to something that seemingly is for the spiritual elite, the Navy SEAL of Christianity. He starts to talk about this. How many of you have ever been around somebody who just, they almost make you feel bad about yourself because they're so spiritual? I'm the only, second service in a row when nobody raised their hand. Thank you. A couple honest people. Like you get around them and you're like, man, they're so spiritual. Like, do they even use the bathroom? Like, like they walk in and like the roaches are like at attention in the room. Because they seem so holy and so spiritual. Jesus exposes the wickedness in that. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, notice he said when you fast, not if you fast. Because for the believer, fasting should be a part of our lifestyle. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. What were the hypocrites? I mentioned it before. Hypocrites in that day, that's the same word as an actor. They called actors in theatrical plays, they called them hypocrites because what they were doing was a show and it was not who they are. And Jesus says, don't make it obvious like the actors, like the hypocrites do. They're only putting on a show for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever have. It's the only reward they'll ever get. Now, there's so much more that can be said. Let me just explain what fasting is. When I say fasting, I'm not talking about intermittent fasting, okay? I know that's the latest crave. I know that's what a lot of people are doing. I tried it, but I like breakfast too much, so I don't do that. Biblical fasting, biblical fasting is when you set aside food to pray and to seek heaven. You're saying, God, I need you more than the sustenance that you've provided. God, you are more important to me than the fellowship that I have with the meals that I eat and the people. I'm willing to pull myself away from all of those things so that I can seek you. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, how I need you. So we are to fast, and there's nothing wrong with fasting. But what's the intention of your heart? Verse 17, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. In other words, don't look, don't make it obvious that you're fasting. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. That's a mouthful in and of itself. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, many times fasting 
for, uh, for a lot of people is like going to the gym or going on vacation. It didn't really happen if you didn't tell everybody about it and put it online. But Jesus is saying, when you fast, that's something that you do between you and your Father in heaven. That's something you do in secret for God. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Why do we fast then as a church? Because the Bible is biblical that you do so. The Bible, there's, there's occasions in the scriptures when the, a leader tells the people, we're going to fast and seek God and pray. That's okay. Again, he's not talking about, you don't, he doesn't want you to go and pretend. Listen, some of you need to tell your wife you're fasting because she keeps making dinner for you and you don't eat it. Be nice to give her a heads up. He's talking about the heart. What is your heart motivated by when you fast? There's people that even when we do the church-wide fast, and everybody fasts different things. Some of you have never given up sweets, and you fast sweets during a fast. Like, you love dessert. Your middle name is dessert. So it's a big deal when you fast that. And you know that person that you get around doing the fast, and we're all fasting, and we're all giving up something. And you, they ask you, what are you fasting? And you, and you say, well, I'm fasting dessert. And they say, that's it? That's it? I've been, I've been fasting for days, only water. I barely even drink water. I have one ice cube that I suck on a day. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, f I knew the fast was coming, so I got ahead of it. I was two, three days before Pastor Gabe even said we need to fast. Right? And it's so spiritual, so holy. You know what Jesus says about them? They have no reward in heaven. Enjoy the praise of man because you have no praise from God. Because the motivation of your heart was to impress other people. The motivation of your heart was that everybody thought you were so holy and you were so spiritual. And Jesus says, heaven's not pleased with that. How long have you fasted? I fasted 10 days. I fasted 21 days. You starved yourself for 10 days or 21 days. That's what you did. Because the motivation of your heart was to please people or to be praised by man. And I love food way too much to let your praise. <laughs> if we're being honest, and you know I say that, but I think we've all been guilty of that. I know I've been guilty of that in the past. And Jesus' words come in and correct our heart and says, that's not what I want. That's not what heaven wants. You're trying to impress people instead of praising God. Let me tell you something about being pious or spiritual in people's eyes. It's like a drug. And when you fast and you look downcast, and even if you don't say it, you just kind of imply it like, like you hope your stomach growls for everybody to hear so you can say, oh, it's just, just doing this for Jesus, you know. I'm exposing our hearts. And you do that, this is all you're doing. All you're doing is looking for someone to give you your next fix of them thinking you're holy and spiritual because that's your addiction. The praise of man is your, of your, your 
addiction. It's what you crave instead of craving the reward of heaven. Jesus has a way of putting his finger on things. You know what? One of the greatest gifts to help me not be super spiritual, that woman right there, my wife. I can preach to 2,000 people on a weekend. I can be used by God, lead people to Jesus. And when I get home, hey, did you put the trash out? (laughs) Woman, I don't know if you notice or not, I'm a man of God. (laughs) Okay, man of God, you forgot to change the air filter too. (laughs) I'm no spiritual giant. I'm a servant. I'm a servant and so are you. We're his servants. The praise and the glory belongs to him. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. Jesus says, when you fast, don't do it for others. Do it for God. Do it as his servant. So my encouragement, my challenge to you is when you're doing these things, when you're giving, when you're praying, when you're fasting, ask yourself the question, why am I doing it? What's the motivation of my heart? Is it so that you think, if it begins with so they think you're wrong, right out the gate. If the first thing that comes to your mind is so they, you're wrong. Because these are things that we do to be rewarded by our Father in heaven. It's not about not wanting a reward. I want a reward. But I want the reward he gives, not the one that you give. Jesus is saying, be rewarded. Look to your father to reward you. And then he takes it a step further. And he talks about another topic that still is connected. He says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And he he begins to focus on our relationship to our wealth and to our riches. Now, before some of you go there, some of you are probably saying, See, Pastor, I knew it. Those wealthy people are evil. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not what he's saying. He is still talking about your heart. He's still talking about our motivation and our intention. He hasn't left this topic. He's just illustrating a different facet of it. Well, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? I know that. I heard that in the Bible. No, you didn't. Because that's not what it says. What it says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's about your motivation, your intention, your why. See, wealth, wealth is like TV. It's amoral. You can use TV to educate yourself or educate a child or educate a teenager. You can watch The Chosen with TV. You can do great things with TV. Or you can put on trash that scars people and scars your own soul. TV wasn't the problem. The person watching it was. The heart of the person was the problem. So that's what, you don't have to clap, it's okay. (laughs) Motivation, intention, the heart, that's what Jesus is after. 
Money is like, it's like fasting. Like I just mentioned, it can be incredible. It can be great. It can also be evil, evil and wicked if it's all about you. Again, Jesus is talking about the heart. Now, again, God isn't, this is important, you need to hear this. God is not against you having wealth. He's not against you having money. You have to interpret scripture in light of other scriptures. And the Bible that I read tells me Abraham was wealthy. David was wealthy. Joseph was wealthy. In the Bible, second in command to Pharaoh. God's not against you having wealth, but he is very much against wealth having you. Very much. So the question is, where is your treasure? Are you neglecting the things that are eternal? Are you neglecting the things that are most important for the things that are temporal right now? For the things that are short-term right now? Are you disobeying God so that you can obey money? And he's going after this in the hearts of those people and in our hearts. As a matter of fact, in that day, and this is so good, in that day, they thought if you were young and rich, that you were blessed and favored by God. And Jesus is saying, you can be young and rich and wicked and evil. As a matter of fact, the rich young ruler was the prime candidate in that day of what God would have used. And Jesus told him, give up your money, sell it all, and come and follow me. And he walked away. And Jesus watched him walk away. Because in that moment, he chose who his God was. His God was his money. His God was his wealth. His God was not the Lord. And Jesus is challenging us. And he's saying, don't neglect your spiritual life for something that's temporary. For something that's not going to last. You, I don't care. Listen, let me just say this. I have had money and I have not had money. I'd rather have money. Okay? But the heart of this is that money does not have you. And even though, listen, when money has you, guess what? You do anything to get money. You will lie and manipulate to get money. You will keep a job that causes you to compromise your Christianity and what Jesus says all for the sake of a dollar. You will run yourself into the ground trying to get more and more and more and neglect your health all because you are trying to get a dollar. You'll neglect the family that needs your attention in the name of providing a dollar for them. Where is your God? Is your God the Lord or is your God money? And Jesus presses this. He continues to go on. What are we putting our trust in? Verse 22, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides a light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Here's another way of putting that. By the way, he hasn't changed the, the subject. He's still talking about money. Another way of putting that is eyes like a window. When it's light outside, it's light inside of your house. When it's dark outside, it's dark inside of your house. What's the thing that is it's catching that and controlling that? The window. You put the shades on the window, it's dark inside, even though it's light outside. What Jesus is saying, let me put it like this. 
What are you lusting after? What do you lust after? The things what? That you see. And the things that you see, if you can see the world and think the world is a place for me to give to and be a blessing to and to help and to rescue and to bring the kingdom and to help people who need it. If you're seeing the world that way, good. But if you're seeing the world as something that you need to take from, that you can manipulate, that you can get, and you're seeing the world through your greed, Jesus says, how dark and how greedy are you? He's teaching us something. How do you know he's still talking about this? Because he goes right back into it. Let me say this. The eye as a light, another way of putting that is an eye that's whole and generous. But the eye that's dark is the eye that's evil and the eye that's stingy. How do you see the world? Verse 24, he goes right back into it. No one can serve two masters. If you will hate one, Excuse me, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, again, money is a great tool, but it's a horrible, horrible God. And God does not want you to be mastered by it. Because there is no such thing as a part-time slave. You can't be a slave to one person part-time and be a slave to the other person. Why? Because you've given up your will and control of your life to whoever your master is. And Jesus is saying, you're either going to choose one or you're going to choose the other. You cannot serve both. Pastor, this is strong. It is, but it's right. And it's truth. And truth frees you. Let me make it more practical for you. If your job keeps you out of church most of the time, that's a problem. If it keeps you away from fellowship and community with other believers, I'm not talking about missing church every now and then for your job. Okay, that's okay. Don't condemn yourself. But when that pulls you away from your spiritual walk, that's your God. That's what you've allowed to be your God. Jonathan Pennington wrote this in a book he wrote about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, whatever people value, that is who they truly are. Whatever you value, that is who you truly are. And God knows who you truly are. Have you ever been around people and, in a sense, you can almost tell what their God is? You get around them, and if lust is their God, it just kind of is on them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you can feel it. You can see the way they look at people and the way they, the way they size up different things. And you just go, this is kind of gross. Other people, you see them, and their, their God is the praise of people. And they're always, okay, tell me I did good. Tell me I'm awesome. Help me. Tell me I'm amazing. Was that good? Was that good enough? Was that, I'm not talking, everybody needs an attaboy. Everybody needs clarity. I understand that. But I'm talking about when you are living for the praise of people, it shows that's your God. When money is your God, it shows. You flaunt it. You brag about it. You make other people feel like less than what you, because they don't have as much as you have, because money is your God. Who is your God? If you compromise your convictions for money, that helps answer the question. 
Verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? That's a novel question in the day we live in because a lot of times we think that's life. Eat as much as I can and have nicer clothes than you. Jesus says, what are you living for? And then he gives an example. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now, one of the things that stresses us out the most is money. One of the things that keeps us up at night the most is money. And if you haven't, if you've ever noticed that most of the time, it doesn't even matter how much you get because you can make a whole lot more and you're still staying up late at night stressing like you don't have enough. I've never met a rich person who says, I'm rich. I have more than enough. Never met them. Because we put our security in something that never makes us secure. Jesus is saying, put your security in me. Put your security in your Father who provides for you. Now, this is what he's not saying. He's not saying, be passive and do nothing. He's not saying that. He's not saying, live in your mom's basement, eating Doritos, watching TBN all day, expecting checks to come in. It's not what he's saying. Some of you have lived that way. Don't do that anymore. No, again, you interpret scripture in light of other scripture. The apostle Paul said, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. You need a job. If you want God to give you fish, grab your fishing pole and go out and cast your, your rod and reel. Right? Even in the example that he gave, how many of you have ever seen a bird fly to the top of a tree, stand on top of that tree and open his mouth? And heaven just rains worms down into their mouth. Doesn't happen. The bird flies and it does its part and God provides for it while it's being faithful. Here's a principle that God instituted into the world. And he said this, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. And some of us are looking for a harvest when you've planted no seed. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest means you have a part to play, but rest assured, it is not you who's ultimately providing. It's your Father in heaven. So be faithful to do what's right and trust God to provide for you. This is not this kind of message. Please, that wasn't my intention. I didn't even mention it in the first service. But one of the things that I've done since I was 17 years old is I've tithed. When I got saved at 16, I got my first job at 17. I remember hearing the preacher talk about it all the time. <laughs> but Jesus has so captured my heart that I couldn't wait to do that. So from the time I was 17 years old to 42 years old, I've tithed faithfully. I've missed maybe two in my entire life. And those two that I missed, I got convicted and came back and redid them. Since I was 17 and I'm 42, not because I'm holy and spiritual, 
but I want him to be the God of my life more than money is the God of my life. He's my provider. He provides for me. He takes care of me. And I trust him to do that. And he's not saying be passive and just sit back and expect it. But I'll tell you this, a couple of things that I know. One, I've, I've quoted this in tough times in our marriage, and my wife could tell you. I've quoted this. David said this in Psalms. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. And there have been moments that my wife and I have been going, maybe I don't know how we're going to do this. This is how different my wife and I are. Okay. Well, normally when something happens in our finances, I'm very spiritual and she's very practical. Something goes wrong in our finances. My first thought is, did we miss a tithe? Her first thought is, did you pay the bills? <laughs> How's the budget? But there's been those moments, and I want to encourage some of you with this. Again, didn't say this in the first service, but I feel like I need to this service. There's been those moments when I've been praying and believing and doing what we need to do, working my job paying my tithe, still going, God, I don't know how we're going to do this, and a check shows up. Am I lying? Check comes in the mail. Somebody says, I felt like God wanted me to do that. I want, so God wanted me to put this in your, and listen, I don't need anybody to do that to me right now. That's not what this is. But he may put that on your heart to bless someone else in this house. And if he does, then be obedient to that because he may be using you to be a provision to someone else. Again, the money is not the issue. The heart is. Which one is your God? That's what Jesus is going after. The why. Why do we trust in wealth? Why do we put our trust in money? Why do we seek after these things rather than seeking after what God says is more important? Worrying doesn't add a single thing to your life. Name one thing that has blessed your life because you stayed up worrying about it all night. Name one moment that you've woken up exhausted because you've been scared to death, concerned about something that you've, walked, you've woken up the next morning. I feel refreshed and have clarity on what God wants me to do with my life. Worry takes away from you. The kingdom adds to you. Trusting God and faith in him adds to you. Worry takes away. He keeps going, verse 28, and he says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly, certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? We trust in God or we don't. We trust that he's going to provide or we don't. This is still about the heart. As people of his kingdom, he is asking us to trust in our father. He is saying, my people look to heaven. Here's the tie-in. My people look to their Father in heaven for their reward. They don't look for it from people. And my people look to heaven for their provision. They don't look to people. Some of us man please and do all kinds of things and compromise who we are because we think that that boss is my provision. He's not. 
Jesus is your provision. You compromise the things that you know are wrong because you think it's the way that you'll get provided for. But God is saying, trust your Father to provide for you. Trust your Father to provide for you. Finally, he tells us the solution. Because some of you are going, Pastor, I can't turn this off. Like Jesus says, stop worrying. That's great. I can't stop worrying. Can I just encourage you with something? If he tells you to do something, he also gives you the grace to do it. So if you think that you can't live your life without worrying, you have bought into the lie. Because the truth that sets us free has already told you, stop worrying. He will give you the grace to not live your life in worry and concern. This is the solution. This is what he tells us. Verse 31. So don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus is saying stop being concerned about things that in the long run won't really matter. They won't really matter. And I joked with you guys last week, but it's so true. One of the things we learned in 2020 is that we are not as stable as we think we are. The world is not as stable as you think. How do I know that? People who have $10 in their account and people who had $10 million in their account, all of them were concerned that we won't have toilet paper next week. Your Father in heaven wants to be your provider. He wants to be the one who gives you provision. And after we're done with this series, we're going to start a brand new series called Priorities. First things first, because I want to talk about what should our kingdom priorities be in life. What should our priorities be? God has something to say about that. But in this message, we're talking about the heart, the why. I thank God for the people in this church at our campus who 25 years ago, which by the way, in October, will meet 25 years that our Savior's church has been in existence. 25 years. I thank God for those people who were here 23 years ago, 22 years ago, 24 years ago, 25 years ago, who gave when they were sitting in those ugly orange chairs back in the little back area we have back there that we now, we call it the KLC, the Cost Landry Center. It's a honky-tonk. That's what it is. It literally was a honky-tonk. They had bands and all kind of political rallies and all kind of stuff happened. I can remember going through the ceiling tile there as a student here when I was in the school, finding very ungodly things in the ceiling tiles above the, it's not a Christian place, but they called it home. And they sacrificed and they gave up. Some of them gave up vacations so that they can give towards it. What God was going to do here at our Savior's church. And by next year, we will be a church with eight campuses because those people sacrificed and they gave because they prioritized the kingdom. And now look what God has done. I think about our Opelousas campus, who for eight or nine years, every week they showed up and they sacrificed being a mobile church. 
they would get up. Some of them would show up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and setting up the entire church at Opelousas High School or at the different theaters or places that they met mobily for eight or nine years. And they would stay, and at 1 o'clock, they're tearing the church down and putting it back in the trailer. And they did this, again, for eight to nine years. And because of their faithfulness and seeking first God's kingdom, they have the nicest building in all of St. Landry Parish today. High schools have their graduations in their church. And they're getting ready to plant a church out of there in Ville Platte. Because of the faithfulness of people who said, I'm going to seek first the kingdom. I want to build something that outlives my wealth, that outlives me. And again, nothing wrong with having a savings account. Do not take this message and go off the extreme. The Bible says that the righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Some of you need to start a savings account so you can have something to give your kids. Somebody wanted to clap there, but that's okay. He did one clap, but it's all right. But I thank God for people who had the kingdom in mind and sought the kingdom. And guess what? It's as if Jesus is saying, if you will prioritize my stuff, I'll prioritize yours. If you will worry about my house, I will be concerned and provide for your house. Seek first the kingdom and all its righteousness. Live righteously. And your Father in heaven will provide for you. So I end with this. Trust God because he's trustworthy. If you've done it right, if you've followed him, if you've obeyed him, trust him. He'll provide for you. But then secondly, what's your why? Why are you killing yourself trying to make a dollar? Is it because it's your God? Or is it because you're just being faithful? Because if you're being faithful, you do it his way. You allow yourself to rest. You hold your integrity in place. You honor God with your finances. You give to things that are going to build his kingdom. I'm not taking up a second offering, by the way. This is about your heart. Some of you need to leave here and bless someone who is in need. Seek first the kingdom. Let your Father in heaven reward you instead of the praise of people and let your Father in heaven provide for you. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you are so faithful to us. Thank you for even, God, in this message, helping us see things, nuanced things in our hearts that seem so complicated and complex to us, but to you they are very clear. You want us to trust you. You want us to look to you to provide everything that we need. Whether it's the, the, the thing, the attaboys, the good jobs that we need, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to knowing we're obeying you. Help us to live with an eternal perspective, knowing you reward us both in eternity and today here on earth. Whether it's the things, God, that we try to accumulate for ourselves so that we think it, pro- it makes us more stable. You are our provider. You are our protector. You are our preserver. And we trust you for that. Be our God. Be the thing we pursue. Help our hearts to see that for what it is. 
Now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I am far away from God. I'm not talking about if you're a Christian and you just felt convicted about this message. If you did, I encourage you, bring that to God. Get that right with him. But I'm talking about those who you know you are far away from him. You've never been born again. You've never surrendered your life to him. Jesus says this. He says, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And that's a moment that only happens once. You surrender it all. And you say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And you keep following him. And what happens is he gives you forgiveness of sin. He comes to live inside of you. He sends his Holy Spirit to empower you. And you are, you become just like that phrase, born again. The old you dies and the new you comes to life. A child of God, a son or a daughter of the living God. Pastor, how do I do that? It's as easy as ABC. And it's easy, simple, because Jesus did the hard and complicated part. A, you admit Admit that you're a sinner, that you're far away from God, that your sin has separated you from a holy God. And you get honest with him. You don't call it a mistake. You call it what it is. You call it sin against God. And then B, you believe. You believe that Jesus was the solution for that problem, that he came and laid his life down so that you could be forgiven and you could be cleansed and you could be brought into eternal life in his kingdom. And see, you confess you confess that he is Lord of your life, that he rose again from the dead, Lord of all creation, and that you're going to follow him. If that's you and no one looking around, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. Nothing magical about the words itself, but it's the heart and the mouth that's saying them that matters. And if that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand because I want to see who I'm praying with. And I'm going to lead us all in that prayer. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand back there. I see your hand. Keep it up high, please. I want to see who I'm praying with. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. See your hand. Young lady, see your hand, ma'am. Now, if your hands have been lifted, I want you to look at me. Just look at me. Nobody else looking around, just you. I'm telling you to look at me because I don't ever want you to forget this moment. This is the moment you cross from death to life. From this moment on, everything you've done in the past is forgiven, it's washed away. It doesn't matter how, how bad you think it is. He washes it clean. You can close your eyes. The church, pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe that on that cross, you died for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth in a relationship with God the Father. So I turn away from my sin, repenting of my sin. I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, 
God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer. Listen, if you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. I'm asking everybody, please don't rush off because I want to speak to those who have prayed today to be born again. Number one, I want to ask you to do this. Tell somebody about the decision that you made. You can do that by taking the connect card in the pew pocket in front of you, filling that out, checking off the box that said, I prayed to be born again. You can also just find somebody here and say, hey, I, I prayed today to be born again. What do I need to do? Second thing I would encourage you to do is keep coming. Keep coming. Keep learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let us help disciple you and teach you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Don't let this be a one-time experience. Let this be the beginning of a journey. Now, for all of us as a church, I want to give you a few quick reminders. We're going to have our prayer team up front here if you need prayer for anything going on in your life. Whether it's something you heard in the message, whether it's something that predates this moment, something going on in your heart, and you just need prayer, come on up. Please let us pray with you. Let's pray for healing in your life. Some of you say, I just need direction. Let us pray that God gives you wisdom and direction in your life moving forward. And then lastly, we have our intro next steps right after the service in the student ministry building. And whether you've been saved for two years or 20 years and you're trying to figure out what's next for me, let us help you with this journey and help you figure out the next step that you need to take. How many of you are glad you came to God's house this morning? You came to church. Good. If you will, stand to your feet. Let me pray a prayer. Let me pray a blessing over you. Father, I thank you for your people. And Father, I pray for your people, your disciples, your followers, that you would bless them, that you would make your face shine on them. And that, God, you would bless them in all that they put their hands to, that it would prosper for the kingdom and be blessed. And as a church, Lord, I pray that we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord. We'd be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. And all God's people said, amen.